Good morning and uh, Merry Christmas. I hope you enjoyed your Christmas Day and I hope you enjoyed Christmas Day for the day that it is. One day out of the year that we set aside to specifically celebrate the birth of Christ. You know, one of the great traditions we have in this country and actually anywhere really where Christmas is celebrated is the manger scene. Uh, You can go ahead and pull up the slide. Here's a picture of a manger that we have in our home. Uh, This manger was handmade by my wife's father and this is a favorite tradition that we have in our home at Christmas. We get out the manger, uh, we set up the figurines and we recreate the scene of that very first Christmas. But have you ever really thought about the manger scene? Have you ever thought about what had to happen in order for a baby to be born in an animal stable? I mean, do you ever stop to think about everything that had to happen in order for Jesus to be born in a manger? Luke tells us very matter-of-factly, almost as an afterthought, why this occurred. And we find in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now think about that for a second. There was no place in the inn for Mary, for Joseph, and the almost-to-be-born Jesus. Here was God, the maker of heaven and earth, the king of our lives, coming to be with his creation, coming to be with us, And at the very moment of his arrival, he enters our world in a place where no one else was staying and where no one else wanted to be, in a stable for animals. So Jesus was born in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. We, his very own creation, had no room for him among us when he arrived. Now today we are finishing up the current sermon series where we've been looking closely at John's prologue in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. These past several weeks, the pastors have taken us through John 1, 1 through 18, so that we could be reminded, or perhaps see for the very first time, that Jesus is the God-man, that he came to us in order to save us out of our spiritual darkness. You will recall that during the first two weeks of the sermon series, we discovered that Jesus is the Word, who is with God, who is God, and who created all things. We also saw that Jesus is the life of mankind and he is a light who overcomes darkness. We are then reminded that those who believe in Jesus are his witnesses, witnesses to the world that he is the light in our darkness. Two weeks ago, Pastor John LaRusso helped us to understand that Jesus is the God-man who became flesh and dwelt among us, verse 14 of John 1. And this is what we just celebrated on Christmas, the moment when God first became flesh and started to live among us. And last week, Pastor Adam unpacked for us the end of the prologue, that God the Father revealed Jesus to us so that we could experience an intimate and perfect relationship with him, just like God and Jesus experienced with each other. However, however, We've also were reminded during the sermon series that the world does not welcome Jesus. Pastor Chris expounded for us that when Jesus came to be with us, from the moment of his birth until his death, resurrection, and ascension, his own people did not receive him. Do you remember how John put it in verses 10 and 11? 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. In fact, this truth that his own creation, people like you and me, did not receive him, was displayed from the very moment Jesus came to earth to be with us. We had no room for Jesus when he first arrived. And so today, as we end this sermon series about Jesus, we need to remember that even though we may not have had, or still may not have, room for Jesus in our hearts, in our inn, Jesus has plenty of room for us in his. Now, if you ever celebrated Christmas with children, you know just how exciting, emotional, and sleepless Christmas can be. I mean, we didn't get a lot of sleep at my house, let me tell you. Um, now, leading up to Christmas in my home, uh, we, we started placing a couple gifts under the tree with each day. And, and what this did is this kind of created an atmosphere of excitement for my kids as each day they came downstairs and they saw the quantity of gifts growing as Christmas Day arrived closer and closer. And what a great reminder these earthly gifts are of the one gift that God has given to us, the greatest gift of all time. And just as we are excited during this Christmas season to remember how Jesus came to be with us 2,000 years ago, we also have great joy today because of what will happen one day in the future. We have great joy because we know that Jesus is coming back. And he's just not coming back. He is coming back for us, and he's going to take us home to be with him. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. And if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, grab the Bible in, in the back of the pew in front of you and turn to page 901. And this will be our text this morning. John 14, 1 to 7, page 901 in the Bibles in the church pew. Before I read, let's just pause and pray. God, please open your word to us this morning. Please help us to focus on what you want to teach us this morning. Holy Spirit, please help me to speak the words you want spoken and open all of our hearts to the truth of your word. Help us not to be just hearers of your word, but also help us to obey it. Break through any barriers we have in our hearts towards you and use your word now to convict us, to encourage us, and to make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to be reading John chapter 14, verses 1 to 7. Please read along with me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Now Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Just as we take time this weekend to remember and celebrate Jesus' arrival as a baby those many Christmases ago, when God came to be with us, I want to remind us today that we can also look forward to another time when God will be with us. 
We can have hope and joy today, even though we are experiencing trials and hardships in life. And so I see three truths this morning from this passage that I believe give us joy now during this life. Joy and excitement that we can have that is so much greater and deeper than the anticipation of receiving or giving gifts on Christmas morning. The first truth I see is this. Be encouraged because Jesus is coming back. Look again with me in John 14, verse 3, where Jesus says, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? He is coming again, and he is coming to take us to be with him forever. I I like how the NIV translates this verse. I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, how is this verse supposed to excite me? I mean, how does Jesus' return really help me right now? Well, I want you to know there's a context of why Jesus makes this statement. If you look at verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So we see that when Jesus stated that he would be returning, he was speaking to his disciples who had very troubled hearts at that moment. And notice what was going on that led Jesus to speak these words to his disciples. If you read this passage in its context, you will quickly discover that John chapter 14, verses 1 to 7, occurs when Jesus and his disciples had gathered together for what we now call the Last Supper. This was the time when they shared a last meal together on the evening before Jesus' arrest and crucifixion. And during this Last Supper, Jesus gave a lengthy farewell address to his disciples. And as John records for us in chapter 13, Jesus knew that his time for the end of his earthly ministry was coming to an end. So he spoke to his disciples of his intimate departure, and he told his disciples that they could not come with him. And so as we come to John 14.1, we find the disciples in a state of shock trying to come to grips with what Jesus had just told them, that he was going to leave them, that they could not follow him. And so Jesus comforts his disciples with these words, Let not your hearts be troubled. I will come again and will take you to myself. Now, what's quite amazing to me about this joyful promise, this promise that calmed the disciples' hearts, was that Jesus knew he was only hours away from his crucifixion and death. And yet Jesus was still able to encourage his disciples because he was going to come back for them. And they could be encouraged with that truth. So now let me ask you a question. When you are listening to someone speak or if you're reading someone's writing, what's one way to know what is very important in that speech or writing? Well, it's by picking up on repetition, right? Repeating something is one way to communicate that the message is important. And we know this promise of Jesus, him coming back to us, is important because we see it repeated many times in Scripture. I'm just going to cover a couple passages. You can follow along or or jot them down and look at them later. But in Matthew 24, verse 44, Jesus had told his disciples before this Last Supper meal, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. 
And then in just a few verses ahead in John 14, in verse 18, Jesus further says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And multiple times in the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, John quotes Jesus as saying that he's coming back. In verses 7 and verse 12, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. And in verse 20, John writes, He who testifies to these things, referring to Jesus, says, Surely I am coming soon. Now, we also read in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, how the disciples themselves were reminded that Jesus was coming. And this occurred just as they had watched Jesus ascend into heaven. Acts 1, 10 to 11. And while they, meaning the disciples, were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you, look, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The New Testament epistles also speak of Christ's return. For example, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, we read, Christ will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting him. Now, there are plenty of other passages that speak to Christ's return, but I hope you notice the promises of return is an important truth to grasp. It is something we must always hang on to. And this promise is a source of joy for us. We can have joy because we know that Jesus has promised to come back for you and for me. And just like the disciples, we can have joy even if our hearts are troubled. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a troubled heart today? Has COVID or perhaps a relationship given you a troubled heart this year? Are you feeling discouraged because of a health issue, either yourself or a loved one? Or are you discouraged because of your finances? Regardless of what's going on, we all have troubled hearts. If we are honest with ourselves, we all face troubles, do we not? Life is hard. It's hard work. And it seems like we constantly make decisions that result in negative consequences. And even at those times when we do enjoy what appear to be successes, we still encounter pain, hardship, and messes all around us. I like it how one movie character stated it. He said, Life is pain. Anyone who says differently is selling something. But not according to Jesus. There is joy in life, even when facing pain or trouble in your circumstances. The disciples and Jesus himself were facing, facing very troubling circumstances. And yet, what does Jesus say? Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Now, according to Jesus, the cure for a troubled heart is belief in God and belief in him. Now, I don't know about you, but this might seem kind of odd that Jesus would say that the cure for troubled heart is belief in him. I would venture to say that most of you listening to me this morning do believe in God. And yet, I can also say with a certain amount of confidence, as I look around the room, and even for those of you watching online, that many, if not all, of us have troubled hearts. Has anybody not had a troubled heart this year? Don't raise your hand. 
But you know what? This is the great thing about the gospel. Jesus does not deny that our hearts become troubled. Jesus knew that the hearts of his very own disciples were troubled on that Passover night. But he also told them that they did not need to have troubled hearts. Why? Because instead of focusing on their circumstances, they needed to focus on him. Jesus told them to believe in God and in himself. So is your heart troubled this morning? Then remember and believe who God is. This God that we've been looking at as we've been looking at the prologue of John chapter 1. He is the God who created you, who spoke this world into existence, who became the God-man, who became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the God who came to be with us, who came to rescue us out of darkness so that we could be with him. Is your heart discouraged today? Then reflect upon God and upon who he is. Listen to how Psalm chapter 71 verses 20 and 21 puts it. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. God promises to be with us when we face difficulties. God is working out his will and that sometimes means we face pain and heartaches. God knows what's best and he is in control. And one day, one day, hopefully soon, all of our troubles will be gone when Jesus comes back for us. Now, you might be asking yourself, well, Dan, why should this promise of Jesus coming back be an encouragement to me? I mean, how does his return have anything to do with what I'm going through right now, Dan? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Look with me at some of the descriptions we find in Scripture of Christ's return. These descriptions are, can be a great source of joy and encouragement to us. And we're just going to notice some of these wonderful truths regarding his second, king, second coming. You can turn with me in these passages if you wish, or just write the passage down and look at it later. The first truth I see in Scripture is that we will be with the Lord forever when he comes back. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. Paul writes, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Do you see that in verse 17? We will always be with the Lord after he returns. And not only will we be with God forever, but God himself will dwell with us forever. In the book of Revelation, John describes for us a vision that God showed him of what life will be like when Christ returns. In Revelation chapter 21, John describes what this reality will look like. I read verses 1 to 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. 
He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. What a great hope we have, knowing that God will live and be amongst us forever. Amen? Now, if being with God and Him being with us forever doesn't excite you, then consider this. Death, pain, sadness will all be vanquished and removed from our experience forever. Look at verse 4 of Revelation chapter 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. If you can't relate to a life without pain, suffering, sadness, that expectation that that can be achieved only through Jesus Christ, that should give us great hope and encouragement. And fourthly, we also know that Christ will transform us to be like him when he comes back. As Paul describes it in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 20 to 21, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. No more aches, no more pains, no more sickness, no more virus, no more disease. God is going to transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. I love how Paul summarizes this truth, all these wonderful truths about Christ coming back in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 51 to 57. Listen to how Paul describes what's going to happen on that day. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must, be, must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So my friend, is your soul downcast this morning? Is your heart troubled? Then be encouraged with these words. Christ is coming back. We will be with him forever. He will remove sin, pain, death, and he will transform us into his glory. His promise to return is a great source of encouragement for us. Amen? Now, the second truth I see in our passage this morning is that Christ about Christ coming back is this. We can have joy knowing that Jesus is preparing a place for us. Not only is he coming back to get us, but he's preparing a place for us. Look at me in John 14, chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, 
what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He is saying that he is preparing a place in his Father's house and in that house are many rooms. There is plenty of space for as many as will accept him in God's house. I like how one theologian explains this description that Jesus uses of the many rooms in God's house. This image is derived from those vast oriental palaces in which there is a dwelling place not only for the king and the heir to the throne, but also for all the sons of the king, however numerous they may be. Psalm chapter 18, verse 19, I think captures perfectly the spacious place that God has prepared for us. Psalm 18:19 says, He, meaning God, brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God wants to rescue us because he delights in us. And because of that great love, he brings us into his spacious house. What is striking to me about this truth, how Jesus is preparing a house with many rooms for his children, is how absolutely contradictory and opposite it is to our lack of preparation for Jesus' arrival. Jesus has room for us even though we never have room for him. Notice how there was no room in the inn when it was time for Jesus to first enter our world. All we could muster up at that time for his arrival was an animal-filled, manure-smelling manger. And yet notice how there is plenty of room for us in God's house when it is time for us to go be with Jesus. His house has many rooms, and those rooms are prepared and meant for us. God is not going to put us in a place meant for animals. God is yearning so much for all of us to go to him when Jesus returns. God so much wants to delight in you and to bless you with a spacious place he's preparing for you. I love how the NIV translates Job 36 verse 16. God is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. The final truth I see this morning for us in this passage is this. Since Jesus is coming back and wants to take us home with him, we need to be prepared. Are you ready for Jesus to take you home? Are you ready to meet your Creator and enter His house with Him? Notice the exchange between Jesus and Thomas in John 14 about the way to be with God. Verses 4 to 6. And Jesus says, And you know the way to where I am going. And I love Thomas. Don't you love Thomas? Thomas is just so honest. Thomas says to Jesus, Lord, you don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, we live in a culture today that does not like exclusivity. No one likes to be left out. And our culture does a pretty good job of making sure no one is intentionally left out, especially those who may be disadvantaged. 
However, because of this focus on including everybody, participation awards for everybody, right? Treating everybody as equal. There's nothing, nothing, nothing necessarily wrong inherently with treating everybody as equal. However, because we get so focused on that, our culture has lost the exclusivity of the gospel. God clearly states that not everyone will come to him. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Our culture does not like hearing that there is only one way to God. One modern, modern critic wrote this, Christianity is a contentious faith which requires an all-or-nothing commitment to Jesus as the one and only incarnation of the Son of God. And what do I say to that critic? I say, Amen, brother. Yes, Jesus is the one and only incarnation of the Son of God. As we have been reminded in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, Jesus is God. And whoever believes in his name has the right to become his child. So my question to you this morning is this. Are you ready for Christ's return? Do you believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to God the Father? If your answer is no, then I pray that God will help you understand with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, that he's the only way to get to God's spacious house. I pray that you will admit that you are a sinner and that you fall short of the glory of God. I pray that you will repent from your sin and allow God to change you. I pray that you will cease resisting him and that you will no longer remain in darkness. As John wrote in chapter 3, verse 36 of his gospel, he wrote this promise and this warning, and he quotes Jesus. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. But if your answer is yes, yes, Dan, I am prepared for Jesus' return, then let me ask you this question. Are you right now living your life with the expectation that Christ is coming back soon, perhaps very soon? Are you behaving as a follower of Christ? Are you living a life that pleases God in all areas? I love how Paul encouraged Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 with this thought in mind. Verses 11 to 15, Paul writes, But as for you, O man, or he could also say, O woman, as for you, O man of God, Flee these things. And Paul is referring to the sinful conduct he had just described in the preceding verses. He's saying to Timothy, flee these evil things, these sinful things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. So I ask again, are you living a life that is unstained 
and free from reproach? Are you confessing your sin, repenting from it, and seeking to live a life that pleases God? Secondly, are you living a life in anticipation of Christ's return? As 1 Thessalonians 4.18 commands us, are you reminding yourself that Jesus is, in fact, preparing a place for you? Are you dwelling on this promise even when your heart becomes discouraged? And lastly, I do need to ask one final question. Are you trying to figure out when Christ will return? If so, please don't. Focus yourself instead on preparing for his return and on inviting in him. God does not want us to focus on determining when Jesus will come back. As tempting as it is, we should not be trying to figure out the timing of his return. Jesus explained to us, as recorded in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13, a period of coming tribulation and then the subsequent coming of the Son of Man. And in verses 32 to 33 of Mark 13, Jesus says this, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. And although we should long for the day of his return and be filled with anticipation for it, we need to keep our primary focus on abiding in Christ so that we will not be unready when he does return or calls home. As John puts it in his letter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. The Apostle Paul also tells us that we don't need any further information on the timing of Christ's return. As he wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 to 2, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. All we need to know is that when Christ returns, it will be, un it will be unexpected and the world will definitely not be ready. So my challenge to you is be prepared for his return. Accept his invitation to join him in the house he has prepared for you. Accept Christ's invitation. Make room in your heart for him. Don't allow yourself to be unprepared again for his coming. Make sure you're living a life that he will look at and say, I am pleased with you. If you've accepted Christ's invitation, Expect Christ to return at any moment. Remember, his coming is going to be like a thief in the night. We do not know when it's coming. It might even be today. Hallelujah, if that would be the case. And so, as we conclude celebrating Christmas in 2020, a year that certainly has caused all of us to have troubled hearts, I want to encourage you to reflect on the manger. Look at the manger as a reminder of how unprepared we all were for Jesus' first coming. But also remember how the manger tells us of God's great love for us. Even though we had no room for him, God has room for us. He sent Jesus to rescue us and to prepare a future, permanent home for us, 
free from all pain and suffering, but more importantly, a home where we will be with him. And as we read from Job 36.16 earlier, God is calling you and he wants to woo you out of your distress. He wants to put you into a spacious place where you can enjoy his blessings forever. So accept his call. Accept his invitation. And if you have accepted his invitation, then live a life prepared for his return. And whether he calls you to himself through physical death first or through his actual second coming, take joy in your circumstances because you know that Jesus is preparing a place for you and he will take you to be with him forever. And as we wait his return and his coming for us, let our prayer be the same as that written in Revelation 22.20, Come, Lord Jesus.